I think I hear from a lot of mothers um, that they are angry. And I think that rage, honestly, is one of the most powerful emotions that I think that are coming out of this experience for mothers. And I think, I think that rage can completely exhaust and deplete us, but rage can also be a tool to think about social change. You know, we talk about our children being our like most precious people. Child care workers are some of the lowest paid workers in America. Um, they're more likely to live in poverty and they're more likely to be women of color. And I think that we have to have a total reevaluation um, of our priorities around seeing childcare as a public good. Welcome to the Mother Honestly podcast. This is your host, Blessing Adesio, founder and CEO of Mother Honestly. On this show, we interview ambitious women that are thriving in and beyond motherhood. Expect honest and real conversations that will encourage and inspire you to take actions on your dreams. Welcome to the Mother Honestly podcast. Today with me, I have Katherine Goldstein. She is an award-winning journalist and media entrepreneur. She has been extensively quoted as an expert in issues facing working mothers, in the New York Times, Washington Post, The Atlantic. I mean, it, you just have a track record, Catherine, of basically <laughs> setting off, writing viral <laughs> pieces about, you know, working moms and working parents. You're also the host of an award-winning podcast, um, The Double Shift, which I absolutely love. It's literally on my top three list of podcasts for 2020. And that's Thank just you. because of our raw and straight to the point, um, especially for working mothers right now. So thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me in that wonderful introduction. So first of all, let's start with you. How are you doing? Well, um, I've, I've really been, I've been trying to workshop what the uh, right question, the right question mothers should be asking each other during this time is. I'm, I'm, uh, I feel like we, maybe we should start with, have you cried today? <laughs> that might be a good one. <laughs> like, have you, I don't think we need to ask if you've taken a shower because more, <laughs> quite frankly, probably we haven't, right? So we shouldn't ask, have you taken a shower? Have you brushed your teeth? Those, uh, the, the answer is probably no. So right. I think I, I really like the, have you cried? Because that at least like sets the stage for like, you know, yeah, nothing else could be worse right now. Right. <laughs> um, I haven't cried today, so you know things are things are looking up. Um, for listeners who, for your listeners who don't know, I um, have. I mean, every single mother in America has had an intense pandemic experience. Um, I had baby twins who were born one month before the pandemic, and I also have a now five-year-old. So we've had a very full life, um, full of, uh, all sorts of challenges and, uh, joys and surprises and terribleness. Um, but I'm excited that we're, I mean, I mean, I'm excited. I think that I have been able to claim some sense of the importance of my identity and work and really try to come back this fall with, 
you know, because I feel like right now, before the pandemic, my job was to cover and, you know, the social and political issues and economic issues facing working mothers. And there's like truly never been a more important time to be talking about these things. So um, I'm happy that I can just contribute in any way to this crazy crisis of a time. Well, I was worried for you and I was, <laughs> I was honestly surprised when you said season three, I said, oh, what is she smoking? Because I just cannot believe that after having twins, after literally spending, you had to jump right back to work because, you know, you, there was a lot going on with moms in America and you felt like you needed to lend your voice. And so I was just really surprised to see you come back the way you did um, you know, with a podcast. And I'm so glad you got some help too, because I, I, I just finished listening to, um, you know, the first episode of season three. And I was like, whoa, I'm glad you get some help because this is not like, this is unsustainable, even for you with two kids, two, two, well, two kids under, under one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think so for me, um, like my work gives me a sense of purpose and it gives me meaning. And I think that um, I, I certainly, you know, what I can do for mothers in America, I'm not, I don't, I don't wanna oversell or undersell what my impact is, but I felt like if there's ever a time for me to show up, um, it was now. And it, I think a lot, so part of me coming back was also it, having the show come back was also like letting go of the idea that the season was going to be exactly like our previous seasons, that I was going to be able to hold myself to all the previous standards or that this time is going to be anything other than normal. But to capture what this time is for mothers in America, I think is really important with all of its imperfections and difficulties. And I, I truly live my art and I just wanted to be able to, um, you know, do what, do what I could do to be, to help people process this moment and also speak up for mothers. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've had many moments of being like, my life would be so much less frantic if I had not brought this season back. <laughs> and so, I mean, like, let's be real. I, and you I'm, go back but, and forth, right? Right. I mean, like, I'm like existentially really glad. And then sometimes personally, I'm just like, what the, yeah. What was I thinking? Wait, are you, are, am I allowed to curse on your podcast? <laughs> hey, I don't even know. So you can take that up with our producer later on. <laughs> but um, um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, and I think that that really, um, you know, takes me back to just looking back, right, at where we came from, where we started off in March. And I'm trying to like sum up the emotions because I had to, I posted on, on, on social media two days ago or even it was yesterday about just how stressful, how truly stressful this has been. Yes. For me personally, yes. you know, I've gone through, I feel like I've gone through hell and back, yes. you know, my career, my work, my family, and just the unrest, you know, as a woman of color, the racial injustice that we've experienced this year, the emotional um, baggage that has, you know, basically that we've been carrying for so long, you know, under this administration that has refused to support working parents, I've just been extremely stressed. And so yes. I'm, I was trying to look for the word and maybe you can find, I'm, I'm angry. 
Yes. You know, I'm, I'm extremely angry at how terrible this has been. The fact that, you know, we, we are in a situation where we don't have any help. Yes. We don't have any support. And we live in the most advanced country on earth. So maybe you can explain to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think we're certainly, uh, I think our, our, our title of most advanced country on earth is certainly in, uh, no, maybe now deeply in question in terms of how we've dealt with this pandemic and how we, um, you know, how we are um, dealing with this crisis for families. I mean, I, I think I hear from a lot of mothers um, that they are angry. And I think that rage, honestly, is one of the most powerful emotions I think that are coming out of this experience for mothers. And I think, I think that rage can completely exhaust and deplete us, but rage can also be a tool to think about social change and think about um, it can be very activating, you know, because angry people, people who are, you know, we, we previously we've heard a lot about mom guilt, you know what I mean? Like uh, mom guilt is a really popular topic and moms are sort of comfortable expressing their emotions of, as feeling bad about things. And I think that we are very much at a moment where mothers are understanding the things that are difficult are things to be angry about, angry at other people about, not at ourselves. So I, I think that that's to me is a little bit of a hopeful lining of this moment. But I think, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to understand. I, I don't the, the the best thing that I can do in terms of helping mothers emotionally through this moment is not is really to just help people recognize and understand that um, we have been abandoned by society. We have been completely failed by our government. And the things that we are experiencing that are difficult are have nothing to do with our personal choices. And if we can unite on these on these things across, you know, with a lot of different mothers, I think we can create some social and political and cultural change. Now more than ever, women are demanding a quick recovery after surgery. Women are incredibly proactive when it comes to their health and ask their doctors a number of questions prior to surgery. Unfortunately, there's one topic that they often forget to discuss, which can directly impact their recovery experience, non-opioid pain management options. Non-opioid options used before, during, and after surgery can effectively manage pain while minimizing the need for opioids and limiting a patient's downtime after surgery. Planning for surgery? Unlock your X Factor by visiting yourxfactor.com forward slash M8 to learn more about non-opioid pain management options and raise your expectations for what is possible after surgery. Absolutely. So I'm going to read a line that, that um, kind of stood out to me in one of your latest article. And in, um, I think it was, this was from the Huffington Post. Um, the mothers of America need a bailout. Mm, yes. This could be the answer. And, um, and you said, to keep mothers sane and in the workforce, compensate for the wave of child care center closures and provide children with structure and better learning opportunities during the pandemic. We need a much larger public policy solution. 
such as a new national care cup. Can you explain to me what, what, what were you thinking in that moment when you came up with this idea of a care cup that could potentially um, support the lack of childcare infrastructure we currently have in this country and get women back to work? So I came up with the idea for Care Corps sometime this spring when I was just like completely nonstop in childcare mode. And, you know, through some tiny moment of lucidity, I imagined like how, even though I knew I had always planned on being in super childcare mode when my twins were newborns, like I just realized how many other families were going to be in this situation. Um, and I think, honestly, the, the, what has led to this moment in terms of so many of us dealing with virtual school, so many um, mothers being forced out of the workforce, there was, we didn't, the spring and early summer, I think a lot of us were, and our leaders as well, were in a state of denial about how long this was going to go on. And so there was no sort of larger public policy or movement on what we needed to do to prepare for this moment that we're now in in this fall the fall and so my idea around a care core is that we should have an AmeriCorps for care or like a peace core for care which is basically like taking all these young people who um, have you know not great job prospects or taking time off from college and you know put them into our communities in small uh, group settings or doing proctoring virtual school or doing tutoring or um, subsidizing, you know, having some sort of public-private partnership to subsidize care for um, uh, parents who obviously, I think every parent in America right now would love some kind of subsi subsidized childcare. I mean, I think we're all struggling. And so I think this idea, I, I, I felt like we needed a lot of creative thinking because as um, your listeners may know, like childcare centers are in a dire situation. We have so many different care needs and this is a way to make like care a patriotic and like noble duty um, that we can instill in our young people and really help parents and especially mothers in this moment. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, I, I really loved that idea. And I think, you know, I reached out to you or maybe you reached out to me. Somehow we were connected and we started talking about, okay, what does this mean? Um, and, you know, is there a way that, you know, again, maybe not even necessarily a care corp, but can we start looking at possible policy solutions, right? Yes. Um, that can support working parents during the rest of this pandemic and beyond that. Um, yes. And when we look at, when we look at, you know, the past, you know, decade or two, and we, and, and, and we look at, you know, I think it was the Latham Act that wasn't necessarily passed, right? It wasn't passed because at the very last minute, um, President Nixon decided that, you know, childcare, we weren't gonna have a universal childcare right. in America. The idea of that of that act was that we would have universal child care that would support the women of America to go back to work um, after after having babies after having a, uh, you know a child, and 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 what would you say is um, you know if we if we had ch universal child care um, during that time and during this pandemic, how do you think the situation would have been different? So. 
um, it, the act that you're referring to back in the 70s, it was it's so interesting because it had bipartisan support in terms of uh, people, you know, thinking that providing subsidized childcare would be good for everyone and good for the economy. Um, and that is still absolutely true. And I think, um, I think that the the reason that we're seeing our childcare system in collapse is that it, it was an already, um, you know, a, a lot of small businesses that had razor thin margins that um, have no government support. Um, and so, for example, our public schools are having all sorts of different problems. That's a conversation for another day, but they're not in, 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 um, they're not in peril of going out of business. Like our public schools are not in peril of just ceasing to exist the way our childcare centers is are because we haven't really treated childcare like the infrastructure that it is and that needs investment. And in order to provide high quality childcare and be sure it's there year after year, we need to um, be sure providers are being paid enough. We need to be sure that um, small businesses aren't sort of being forced to really reckon with this as like a profit motive. Like this has a public good beyond, you know, how to make this work as a business. And, you know, we talk about our children being our like most precious people. Childcare workers are some of the lowest paid workers in America. Um, they're more likely to live in poverty and they're more likely to be women of color. And I think that we have to have a total reevaluation um, of our priorities around seeing childcare as a public good. And had this, you know, had we had legislation like this um, that was passed in the 70s, you know, no one questions that, you know, public schools should be provided, well, very few people question the idea that public schools should be provided from kids from five to 18. Why, why five? Why not at one? Why not at six months? Like these sorts of things are cultural constructs. Um, and we can change our culture and our public policy. And I think that that would better society as a whole. Who said business and pleasure can't mix? Check out Lincoln.com. Luxury vehicles designed with you in mind. Thoughtful interiors and insightful technologies that provide an effortless ownership experience. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the issue of childcare keeps going back and forth, right? Um, we, we keep seeing, you know, various solutions come up, especially during the pandemic, the pods, the micro schools, um, the daycare centers that are, you know, reopening with um, much less space. And so that continues to, you know, that's, that's a bottleneck, right? It's a constraint in the system. And so women are, and what we're also seeing is that people have different comfort levels, right? So for example, personally for us, and I don't know what you guys are doing, maybe we can get into that a little bit, but we're not sending any of our kids to school. We're not like, they're not in daycare because we just don't, we're not there um, in terms of safety. We're like, no, we just can't trust anyone to be as safe and as, you know, taking all the precautions like we would. Um, so what, uh, when I think about childcare, I'm also thinking, could it also be that, you know, we're all owning onto our kids and basically creating this 
idea that childcare is, is still largely a problem, but we're not exactly ready, right, to, to let our kids off, off our site. Do you, is that something that you, you've heard or, you know, you've seen in your own environment or within your community that, you know, people are not exactly too, um, you know, excited to, to let their kids go back to school or to, or to daycare? Right. I think that what we're, we're touching on here is that th- these these decisions like feel really personal and they're really about personal comfort level. They can be about personal health issues. It can be about personal past experiences. Um, but at the same time, like we're, we're framing a lot of these things as personal choices, but really like all of this goes back to failure of our leadership to get this virus under control, to provide clear guidance, to, you know, help us understand what risks, because everyone takes risks in their lives. So the question is like, what, what, what the risks are like as a society, you know, we've decided that it's more important to be sure that bars reopen than it is to be sure that schools are funded to adequately protect everyone in terms of going back. So all of these factors have like led to this moment. So I think supporting childcare, we're, you know, it's a couple different issues. It's one, you know, getting through this acute crisis moment and then it's also how do we build up a system so we have a, a more stable system so something like this can't happen again? And how do we, you know, build, make, make not just get back the bad, the bad childcare situation in America, which everyone I think most parents know was already too hard to find and too expensive before the pandemic? Like, how do we make a system that's better? But in terms of like these like decisions about what to do now, I think, um, you know, I think that there, there isn't, I think there isn't a right answer uh, in terms of what people are comfortable with. Everyone's going to have different things they're comfortable with. And I, but I think everyone agrees that um, this sort of long-term isolation is extremely hard on children and parents. So, you know, figuring out what works for our, our own families um, is just an important part of this calculus. And I think we all just need to be understanding and kind to each other about how we're all making our own risk calculations. I, I completely agree. So let's let's shift gears a little bit because one of the things, one of the trends that we're seeing, and you've seen this also, um, I, I believe the number was 865,000 women who dropped out of the workforce between August and September. And yes. when we look at from February, I think the number is now 2.65 million women since February of 2020 up until now um, in October. So one of the things, one of my theory is that, you know, we've basically decided as a society that men will continue to power the workforce and women will continue to power the home. Yes. It seems like we've made that unconscious decision. And so we're starting to see this shift. And I know you've talked a lot about, about um, you know, you've written a lot about um, American moms, right? And, 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 the, um, and, and the discrimination, right? The anti-mom bias yes. that we experience at work. Um, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because we've seen in our community that because women are dropping up the workforce, I think that we're getting, we're starting to get this idea that it might be okay to discriminate against moms right now in the workforce and thereby force them. And I love that you use that word in the Caregiving and Work Summit, that this is not women dropping out of the workforce. This is women being forced out of the workforce. 
what we're hearing and seeing is that moms are going through some serious maternal bias at work right now because yes. employers have this, they have this idea that they are truly convinced that if you are a mom in this era, in this pandemic era, you're not doing enough. Right. And yes. So unfortunately, um, anti-mom bias is um, something that was a huge problem before the pandemic. Um, I have heard many, 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 many stories about um, mothers being discriminated against. And this idea, there's this idea in academia called the maternal wall, which is the idea that you can't be a good mother and a good employee at the same time. And this is rampant, it's unconscious sometimes, or we we actually, sometimes it's even, it's even sort of blatant and we think, and people think it's okay to express these ideas um, because people just have this opinion that these very, very strong cultural beliefs and ambivalence about mothers working at all, whether or not they admit it upfront like that or not, it's very much ingrained in our culture. So I think that that was already the backdrop before the pandemic started. And now we have a situation where, you know, the first few weeks of the pandemic, when maybe we thought things were going to quote, go back to normal after a couple of weeks, you know, everyone could sort of be, oh, I'm like, I'm, I can be really understanding. I can be forgiving. I understand it's chaotic. But now that we're understanding how, what a long-term situation we're in, I think that people are becoming more and more hostile towards mothers. This bias that was already there is coming out even in even more strong ways. And I think that unfortunately, like people, this being forced out of the workforce can be a combination of a lot of different things. And some of it is being sidelined or laid off specifically because of um, anti-mom bias, whether or not it could be proven in a court of law. Um, but a lot of times I think people know that that is exactly what's going on. Oh, I absolutely um, love that. Um, so let's let's shift gears to the Double Shift podcast because it's one of my favorite podcasts out there. What is the premise of the Double Shift podcast, and why do you why did you start this podcast? Sure. So the Double Shift um, is about a new generation of working mothers, and um, I got the idea for the show a couple of years ago because I really felt like. Um, I wanted to do more reporting and in-depth storytelling about the experience of working mothers that was different than we were hearing in other venues. And at the time there was no um, podcast, like reported podcast um, about working motherhood. And a lot, of, um, a lot of media, I think the landscape is changing some, but for a long time, a lot of the media aimed at moms was really about service journalism, tips and tricks, rather than sort of trying to get into some of the meatier issues and showcasing like diverse uh, stories about working motherhood. So that's sort of what we set out to do in the double shift. And, you know, through our three seasons, we've told stories about, um, you know, everyone from sex workers to politicians with young kids running for office um, to, you know, really um, non-traditional, unconventional families. Um, and, so this season we are, um, and I'll, you know, I think one of our sort of focuses and one of our reasons for being is to challenge the status quo of a motherhood in America. And I feel like there's truly never been a more important time to do that. Um, and so you won't sort of get into the, we don't get into these sort of cliches and we don't talk about parenting or kids because we believe mothers 
uh, have complex lives onto themselves and we're interested in things other than our children. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, this season we're really trying to capture, I have a co-host, um, wonderful author, Angela Garbez. Uh, I have a co-host and we're really trying to capture the uncertainty and precarity of this moment and really sort of show, talk through some of the situations that we're in right now and sort of make sure that mother's voices are heard during this time. Um, because we feel like, especially as so many women are being forced out of the workforce, they're also being forced out of public conversations. And we want the double shift to, um, to, to be a voice for so much of that experience oh, as much as we that. can. I love that so much. And you guys are doing amazing work. I mean, you are doing amazing work and I hope that you're proud of yourself because I am. Thank you. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know how I would pull off having twins and being a voice for working mothers and then putting together an amazing, amazing podcast reporting on the issues that working parents face. Thank you. Thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us. Where can our listeners find you? Sure. So um, check out The Double Shift wherever you get your podcasts, or you can follow us um, on Instagram at The Double Shift, um, or sign up for our newsletter at thedoubleshift.com. Oh, thank you so much. Perfect. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your weekend. And tune in, um, you know, to The Double Shift podcast, guys. I am a fan, and I hope you are too. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Mother Honestly podcast. If you want more relevant content for the ambitious mom, head on over to motherhonestly.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Mother Honestly. Love our podcast? We want to hear from you. Please rate and review our podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. We love growing at Mother Honestly and your reviews help us grow. Stay safe, stay well, and always stay ambitious.